Hello there, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman, and you're listening to Exploring Different Brains. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains for DifferentBrains.com. And I have the honor today of having right here in our studio a legend down here in South Florida who does so much for so many, Stacy Hoagland. And I'm not even going to try to tell you in the introduction how many different things she does. Welcome, Stacy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, now look, let's, let's start by you introducing all the 87 things and entities you're involved with. Take your time. And let's start. Well, first and foremost, I'm a mom. So of two amazing young men. And um, so it was really my younger son who has autism that got me involved with the disability community. Um, So presently, I am an educational advocate with Family Network on Disabilities. I'm the statewide coordinator for Partners in Policymaking, which is an advocacy training program funded by the Florida Developmental Disabilities Council. Um, I'm the editor of a magazine called the Autism Notebook Magazine. That's a free publication that uh, probably about 68 to 75% of our readers are parents and then the remainder are providers. So we, we really try to provide something for everyone that's within the autism community. I'm the president-elect for the Autism Society of Florida. I spent quite a few years as the president of the Broward Autism Society. And uh, just it's an amazing organization. I wear a couple hats with the Children's Services Council as far as some special needs advisory committees. And um, I just work very hard at trying to do my best at helping people through the very complicated system and um, making sure that people, particularly people with autism, get um, as much as they can out of life. Well, I want to thank you personally because you've done such a terrific job and I know you're working all the time doing all this stuff. I was going to interrupt you Interrupt you to say, you know, why are you so lazy? You know? <laughs> um, I remember when the Children's Services Council first came into being down here. And uh, it was, uh, at the time, it was considered very political going back. And uh, I think they've done a pretty good job. What kind of report card do you give them? Well, um, actually, sadly, we just lost Dr. Herm Fishbein. And Dr. Fishbein was hired by the Children's Services Council a little over 10 years ago, I believe, in Broward. And he's really the impetus for change there when it comes to people with disabilities. Um, He created the Special Needs Advisory Coalition. We've changed our names a couple times over the years. Um, And really shed the light on employment opportunities and how to prepare teenagers with developmental disabilities for the world of work. And he kind of sucked me along and uh, pulled me into that. And that committee, even though Herm had left uh, the Children's Services Council, that committee has continued. And um, what the Children's Services Council provides uh, young people, because it is children, so unfortunately they don't do adult work, which I would love for them to, but they don't, um, uh, has just grown astronomically. And I think that they have become much more less political and much more grounded in individuals and meeting the individual needs of our community. Well, that's great. And, uh, you know, I, I visited with Herm up at the Unicorn School, which you were you were one of the co-founders yes. of it. Well, I, I was, yeah, I, it was interesting because I was on an education committee with the Unicorn um, Foundation. And uh, 
somebody said something about they were looking for a project and we started talking about, well, how about a school? You know, we could really use a school, a program that uh, is enriching, that could really be very strength-based focused because, you know, our education, our public education system in general focuses on your deficits. And there was really nothing out there that looked at where are your skills and abilities? That's where we need to go with our instruction. And so we just started brainstorming it. And somebody said to me, who do you think for a headmaster? And I was like, Herm Fishbein. Uh, you know, it was no doubt in my mind. And then we brought in Herm and, and the rest is history. It's just been an amazing uh, road and uh, continues to get better every year. Very dedicated uh, and persuasive and tough individual. He was good. Yeah, he, he was great. He got it all done. Well, I was very much affected when I went out to uh, at the World Autism Conference out in Tucson, and I got to you know present there with Temple Grandin and Ron Kaufman and Stephen Shore and all them real champions who are themselves right. uh, neurodiverse. One thing that struck me was. Um, the importance they all put on, which I made, I made a chapter in my Asper Tools book about harnessing the hyper interests, harnessing them and going with the strengths as opposed to stop doing that. Right. It's like, let's make this better and stronger while you're strengthening the other parts. Right. Um, in your experience, you found also that to work on the strengths at what we can do to maximize health, happiness, safety, productivity, and independence, whatever chance there is. Right. Well, quality of life is something that everybody wants, no matter if you have a disability or you don't. And if you spend day after day being beaten over the head where your weaknesses are, how would you possibly have a quality of life? So by looking at where a person's strengths are and helping guide them down that path is so much more effective. I met with a family years ago. I remember their daughter was 19, and I met with the mom and the dad and the girl, and she had a cognitive disability, and um, we were talking about employment. She was 19, so I wanted to talk about, okay, she's still in school, but where are we going? What are we doing? And the, the dad said to me, oh, no, she's not going to work. And I said, why? And he said, because she can't work. And I looked at her there, and, and I said, do you want to work? And uh, she goes, I think so. And so the, the parents, as lovely as they were, they really felt that there was nothing out there for her. Because um, she that, that was at a time when we had a special diploma still in the state of Florida. And um, they just thought, she's going to get a special diploma, and she'll just be at home. They, 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 had, um, they were an affluent family, so they could have her taken care of. And so that was not a concern. And uh, when I started talking to them about quality of life and how much quality of life we get out of what we do every day, out of our profession, they kind of started to bend a little bit. And I said to the girl, what do you like? What do you like to do? And by the way, what do you like to do is something the parents hardly ever ask. I know. <laughs> They're usually shocked when I ask them that yeah. question. And um, so she liked clothes. She liked earrings. She liked fashion magazines. And so we were able to get her uh, um, community-based instruction through the school at a, a 579, which is a clothing store for, for young women at the mall. And they hired her. And when I went in there to go shopping one day, uh, she you know, was a greeter. And so she wasn't able to run the, the cash register, but she was so happy to be there and help people match their clothing that they were purchasing. And the manager said to me that she had no better employee 
than this young woman. So they won because they got a great employee. She won because she was so happy. She felt fulfilled and she had a purpose to getting up and she was making friends and building relationships. Giving people a job or an activity kills 10 birds with one stone. It really does. It does. And I think we've inadvertently discriminated against adults with a focus on the, the children. Well, the children all grow up. Yeah. Well, you spend a lot more time as an adult than you do as a child. So being able to give the kids what they need as they're coming through those transition years, but with the foresight to know that you're preparing them for a very, you know, uh, a much longer period of time. So the intensity of the instruction when kids get to high school should not be less than what it was when they were getting that early intervention. Um, because that's going to, that really, that intervention needs to last them a long time. Where did you grow up? In South Florida, in Hollywood. Right and how did you get into all of this? Just my son. Um, prior to having my children, I actually worked for Broward Schools. And then um, I thought, I'm going to have my kids. I'm going to stay home. My life is going to be peaceful. I'm just going to travel and enjoy, you know, peace and tranquility. And then, um, so I had my first son, and then I had my second one, who had some developmental lagging early on. And just like many parents, my pediatrician kept saying, he's fine, fine. he's fine. <laughs> and, and then one evening, a friend of mine who was a school principal was over for dinner, and I saw her keeping an eye on him. And she called me the next day, and she said, I don't want you to be mad at me, but, you know, I have kids with autism in my school. And Zachary's showing some of those symptoms. And I said, I know, and I keep questioning it, but the doctor says no. And she said, I think you need another opinion. So I went to my pediatrician, and he said, well, I don't think that she knows what she's talking about, but I'll send you to a neurologist. And five minutes in a neurologist's office. I mean, and now looking back, it's... I can't believe that I didn't see it because it was, he wasn't this well, autistic. Here's he had thing. a lot of issues going and, on. And here's what I speak about a lot. It's multifactorial. First of all, I kind of make fun of myself and all of us parents because we're so blinded by love. And you get a combination of love, ignorance, denial, people telling you it's going to be all right. Right, well, dealing with a medical establishment that tells you, stop worrying, he's fine, he's a boy, he's delayed. Well, you know, when we interviewed Dr. Brian Udell, the autism yeah. doctor, who's vociferous and says, look, you know, the medical establishment has no clue. And I say, yes, but it's not their fault because they don't get educated in it. Doctors get no training in my own personal journey. Uh, after my daughter Rebecca started tutoring at Cumberland Academy of Georgia, which was for Aspies and autism and other developmental uh, learning challenges, the owner of the school met Rebecca for 10 minutes, said, you know, your daughter has Asperger's, and me, the Boston-trained MD, said, what's that? Mm -hmm. Well, it's on the spectrum of autism. Do you know what that is? Uh, kind of. I'd gotten yeah. no training. And that didn't make me a bad person any more than it makes a lot of these teachers who don't get the proper training or policemen who don't get the training doctors and go on down the line. Right. So it's a societal kind of thing. And if society just realizes that we're, as Temple Grandin said, different, not less, we'll be better off. Um, 
What is the um, legislative atmosphere like in Florida right now? Well, we're actually going through a major change coming into this next session because about half of our state legislators are going to be changing. So this past year, we had uh, Andy Gardner as our Senate president who has a son with Down syndrome. So Andy was really, um, and his wife Camille, are really um, passionate advocates at the state level and a voice for us on the Senate, not only on the Senate floor, but he was the Senate president. And we're losing him because he's terming out. Um, his wife Camille is um, an amazing woman and uh, pretty determined in you know, getting his legacy to continue with other legislators. But, um, you know, we have a, a major vote coming, not only for our presidency, but throughout our state. And people really need to uh, educate themselves and get out and vote because it's really hard to say because we're going to be changing out so many people. Every year, um, the Florida Developmental Disabilities Council puts on something called DD Day. Uh, ARC of Florida is also heavily involved with that. And it's in Tallahassee. And I was there... Uh, I want to say it was like February 18th. And it was funny because I had been in the house at the, because the house, the, the, they were running late in their session that day. I got to my plane. My plane was like around a 5.30 plane to come back. And uh, I'm on the plane and rushing onto the plane come these guys in suits. You know, there's like five or six of them They're sitting all around me. And so I looked at the guy across the aisle and I said, you guys from the house? And he's like, oh, Yeah. Why did you think that? And I said, because I was in the house um, and I know that you guys were running late today and you're in suits and you're rushing on a plane. So I figured maybe you're from there. And they were like, yeah. And they were both Republicans and Democrats. And so we just got into a conversation about disabilities and children and adults and the needs of the state. And um, sometimes you got to catch them when they're not wearing their business hat, you know, sitting on a plane for an hour coming home. And... And like I said, they were both. They were both sides of the aisle on the plane. And they were bo both parties were so open to what I was saying because I told them, this is not a partisan issue. This is just good stuff. And taking care of people in our state who you guys, I mean, we're your constituents. You are our representatives. Uh, we go out, we vote for you, and we expect you to represent us when you're doing your job up there in Tallahassee. And they were so open to everything and they agreed yes this is totally a nonpartisan issue and I you know I, I looked at the two of them one was you know Republican and Democrat and I go and I want you to to make sure that you work together on this kind of stuff because when you're doing this nobody wins we had a big swell when my son was young of the number particularly of autism so the adults entering you know uh, or the, the the kids who were kids at are like 21 18 to 21, 22 years old, there's a big mushroom effect and they're going to be hitting the adult world and we're not equipped. So we're seeing some movements and, and Andy Gardner was a huge part of that because he really um, pushed our university system to develop uh, educational programs for people who wouldn't be your typical degree seeking uh, individual, but learning uh, independent functioning skills and job skills and uh, with an inclusionary spin, not sheltered workshops and separate training facilities and things like that. Um, the, the best and the safest place for somebody for, with a disability to be employed or spend their day is surrounded by people who do not have disabilities. Uh, we're also battling you know, restraint and seclusion and 
being able to have our, our the people that we that we love that we represent um, as included in society as we can, and having them have a seat at the table, because it can't be the rest of us making decisions for them. They need to be part of this as well, and they want to be part of it, and they may not be able to communicate uh, verbally, and that doesn't mean that they don't have anything to say, and they need to be part of the equation because if they're not then we're not doing our jobs. Tell us about the book that you wrote. Well, the book I wrote is called Go For, Go For The Goal, and it really came about because I had teachers as well as parents calling me, what, do you have some good IEP goals? Give me some goals. Give me some goals that I can, that I can write in the student's IEP or on my child's IEP. And uh, I would, you know, over the years just email people, okay, so here's some ideas. And I thought, oh, this is kind of crazy. I have to keep setting these goals. So let me just get them all together. And so that's what I did. I just put them all together and I tried to break the book down into from, you know, I, I compartmentalize it into young children and these, in these areas, so social, emotional behavior. Here's the goals that I would recommend for a young child. And then all the way up, there's the chapters towards the end of the book are all for transition age kids with a strong focus on um, employment, independent living, uh, social development when you're out there in the real world on the job site and your boss says, okay, you got a 20 minute break and you've never been taught leisure time skills and you don't know what to do with a break. And a lot of teachers even forget that they have to teach young people with autism. What do you do when you have a break? What, what activity can you do in the lunchroom or the break room? Um, if I'm working at Publix and I go into the break room, what can I do in there for 20 minutes? Um, because it's that's people don't think about that individuals with autism might be great workers you tell them what to do and you structure it they can be you know when you walk into a store and you see all the cans of vegetables and everything they want them perfect they like it to look beautiful but you throw them into a break room I mean what do I do how do I handle this sometimes that's the most complicated place for an individual with autism is not on the floor working but it's on their breaks. Tell us how our audience who would like to get in touch with you, tell us the various ways because you're wearing so many different hats where they might be able to find you. Well, you know, social media has really made access to people so much easier. So you can literally go onto Facebook and throw my name in there and you'll kind of find, I have a couple different pages on um, Facebook. Um, but if it's, Something to do with advocacy, it's fndbroward.com. Um, what does that stand for? Uh, Family Network on Disabilities. Okay. Uh, and then there's the, for the Partners in Policy Making, which is the statewide program, that is fddc.org. And uh, there's a link there for Partners in Policy Making. Uh, for the Autism Notebook, which is the magazine that I publish, and it's free. So anybody, if you just if you just search for that on Facebook, the Autism Notebook, um, you can right there you can get the links to all of our publications through the Facebook page. And the beauty in that is, since we've had writers from five different continents, literally we're everywhere because people from the different countries around the world who have written for us, they share it with their people. And uh, so it's fabulous. And everything about the magazine is positive. It's, it's like my shining light in my day because we really just strive to help people have an easier go.
at things so that at the end of the article, I always stress to the writers when they say, what do you want out, what do you want me to write? What do you want out of the article? And I always tell them, I want the person who reads it to come out of the end of it with new ideas of how to make the individual either themselves or the individual that they're working with, with autism help make their life be better or easier or more productive or more positive. And uh, so the magazine is awesome. So we've been speaking with uh, Stacy Hoagland today. And Stacy, I want to thank you for taking the time to come down. You're a fierce mom, advocate, activist, and you're helping so many other people with all of the different entities you just discussed. And uh, keep up the good work. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com.